Good to see everyone. What a, a powerful time of worship this morning. And man, it just gets you excited and ready to celebrate today uh, the resurrection. Uh, in the early church, uh, I've shared this before, but um, one of the things that's really interesting is they greeted each other just in day-to-day life. They would say, He is risen, and they would respond, He is risen indeed. So I want to try that this morning. He is risen. He is risen and so thank you this morning. He is risen indeed. If you're watching online, welcome and, join, and thanks for joining us. And would you comment as well, just he is risen indeed. You can join in with us. And, and as you think about that, it's not just Cornerstone. It's churches all over this country, all over the world, all throughout the centuries. We're joining together to celebrate the resurrection. The most significant event that has ever happened in all of human history, that is what we celebrate today. And I wish we could just bottle up the excitement that the church has on Easter and have it every single week because that is the way we need to worship. That's the way we need to celebrate. That's the way we need to uh, praise God each and every Sunday, each and every day, each and every moment of our life. So, I just share all that to say that today is going to be a special day. We're starting a new series called Love Reigns. And for the next three weeks after this, we're going to be digging a little deeper. We're going to look at how Jesus is the king today and what that means for our life. But then we get to to look look at how he reigns over our past and our present and our future Uh, This is really going to be a a good series. So if you're here joining us today, uh, I want to invite you back next week and the week after and the week after to kind of you get you get a glimpse this morning. Um, But if you want the full story, the full picture, you need to come back and and hear the rest uh, of what we've got to share in this in this series. I've got a few announcements this morning uh, before we jump in. Uh, One is that um, if you are new today, uh, if you're new online, new here in person, if you would take a minute and go to mycornerstone.fyi, uh, it's a place there to fill out our Connect card, and just that gives us a way to get to know you, kind of gives us a record of your attendance today. Uh, and so I would invite you to do that. Just take a moment and, and fill that card out for us and, and share as much information as you're comfortable with there. And uh, we just want to get to know you. And uh, we really, it's our way of kind of connecting with you. So we invite you to do that. And then on April 18th, uh, just in a few weeks, we're going to have a Discover Lunch. And what our Discover Lunch is here at Cornerstone, it's a chance for you to get more connected. And so you get to discover more about Cornerstone. We get to share about our history, our vision, our values, uh, where we're going, what God has done, how you can get involved, how you can connect. We share a little bit about membership and what that looks like. Uh, gives you a chance to ask questions, meet some of our leadership. And so you do need to sign up in advance just so we are ready for that. So uh, again, you can go to mycornerstone.fyi, go to upcoming events, and you'll see the Discover Lunch, and you can sign up for it there. So, uh, wow, we just get to celebrate today. And again, I'm just so thankful that as a church, uh, we can get together and celebrate. I was thinking back, I actually went back and watched last year's Easter message. And uh, last year at Easter, we were online only. Uh, and at the time when we first kind of went online only, we we're like, okay, we'll be back in person by Easter. That was our goal. And Easter came and it went and a few more months came and went. And uh, it was kind of a challenging time. And I, I think back to that a little bit. And I'm thankful that we've been able to, to be meeting back in person since June. And um, I just think back to 
uh, all that we've been through in this past year. And one thing stands out in my mind is that God has been faithful. God has been so faithful through this uh, last year. We've seen him uh, just continue to work and move in our church. Uh, we've seen, um, we've just seen so many good things happen. And, you know, I, I think back to the uncertainty we had last year. Not really sure what, how people would respond. And if we go, went online only, would people come back and what that would look like. And man, today, uh, both services uh, full of people. We're seeing God continue to use and work. Our church is healthier and stronger than I think it's ever been. And so I just want to thank you guys for your faithfulness, for your obedience, for your, uh, just your support of Cornerstone, for the work that, uh, that God is doing through us here. And um, I fully believe that God has got a lot more in store for this church. Um, the best days are ahead. We've got a lot coming up. Uh, I'm just telling you, I'm excited about what uh, the future holds for this church and for Galax, uh, for the other churches in this community that are reaching people for Jesus We've got, uh, we've, it just, there's a lot to celebrate today. And uh, today we're going to be focusing on the, the power of love. And if I talk about love a little bit, I think love is one of those things that we underestimate. Would you agree with that? That we underestimate kind of the power of love? Um, I, I would argue that it's the most powerful force on earth. Uh, and, and, I, and I say that because love will drive you to do things that you would never do for any other reason. Uh, man, you, you think about that. Uh, you think about the crazy stuff you would do for your, uh, your, your girlfriend or your wife or your spouse. Or you, you think about that, and it's amazing how God gives us that capacity to love in such a way, in such a sacrificial way, that we really don't even think about ourselves sometimes. And I think back when I started dating Jennifer, it was a long time ago. Um, uh, and, you know, we were 16 when we started dating, and it was so awkward. I remember, like, calling her up. She was at work at Rose's at the service desk. Um, and I'm, like, you know, talking to her and asking her out. And we went, uh, here's our first date. Our first date was Burger King. And we're, and we're married, so I don't know how that works, okay? Um, but, I mean, you think back, and you think about how a relationship grows, and you think about you, all the stuff you do to impress the other person, and all the stuff that you do to, I, I mean, you, love drives you to do some pretty crazy things. Now, just think about guys. I mean, you, you, you get dressed up in high school and put on a tux and go to prom. I mean, why would you do that? If, I mean, love just cr makes you do some crazy things, okay? And then as you get older, it just, you know, then you, we got married and have kids. And I think about the stuff that I would do now for my wife and kids. I would risk being embarrassed. I would risk personal injury. I would risk anything because I love my family. Can you relate to that, right? I mean, love is powerful. And when you think about God's love, it really is incredible the length he went to uh, to demonstrate his love for us. And so that's really this morning. Um, I just want to share that love is the driving force between that sacrificial action uh, and it, whether it's for us, for our spouse, or for our kids, or for someone significant, whether it's God for us, what we see is love is an incredible force. And, and I want to share, before there was ever an Easter uh, Sunday, there was a Good Friday. And that Good Friday demonstrated God's love for us. And, and, I, and maybe you've asked that, what was good about Good Friday, right? 
what was good about Good Friday is it demonstrated how much God really loved us. And, and really, it just shows his incredible sacrificial love that he has for us. And before there was a resurrection, there had to be a death. If we look at, at the history of the, you know, the first century, uh, we look at uh, the, the, the Israelites and they were hopeful. They were awaiting a king. And when you think about it, when you study history, what you see is that they were under Roman oppression they were struggling. They really wanted someone to come to overthrow the Roman government, to establish a new kingdom, and, and then uh, to rule and reign over that kingdom. That was the Messiah that they were looking for. It's not the Messiah they got, but it was the Messiah they were looking for. And so when you read things in like in John 12, where it talks about what happened on, on that Palm Sunday... Uh, it says in verse 12, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem is swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors uh, took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, hail to the king of Israel. But the kingdom that the Messiah was about to, to usher in was not a military kingdom. It was not a political kingdom. It was a kingdom based on love. It was a kingdom based on uh, something that they did not yet uh, even understand. Um, and it was a kingdom not of this world, but it was a new creation. And, and the way that Jesus proved that he was king, it was by what he did. He went to the cross. He died on the cross. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And that's what proves he is king. And that kind of leads me to, to talk about it. If Jesus is king, right, we have to realize, here's your first point if you're taking notes or if you're watching online today. If Jesus is king, there can only be one king ruling your life. There can only be one king ruling your life. You can't have more than one king over you. Think about this. For 33 years, Jesus walked the earth while he was serving the hungry and healing the broken and, and delivering the oppressed and setting them free. He announced this coming kingdom of God. And if you look through the Gospels, the main theme through all the Gospels is this kingdom of God. Everything he did was in the context of establishing the kingdom of God. And when he announced the kingdom of God and the restoration of all things, he claimed that he was the son of God. He made these ridiculous claims that people around him were like, what, you're God in the flesh? This was, this was, this was really controversial. This was uh, blasphemous to the people of the day. They're like, you're really God. And he made these claims that he was king and then people followed him and acknowledged that he really was the king of Israel. Now, of course, this kind of thinking caused a lot of conflict. Uh, Rome had established a kind of regional king, Herod the Great. Um, he heard about this. Obviously, he was threatened because he was the king. And now Jesus is walking around saying he's the king. And there, can, there simply can't be two kings. Uh, if both people claim to be kings, ultimately one, right, one is going to have the authority and the power. Uh, ultimately, only one person can be king. And that's what we see here because Jesus threatened their kingship. 
the, the Roman officials, the uh, religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, uh, they plotted against Jesus. They tried to trap him. Uh, they finally arrested him based on the evidence that when Judas betrayed him, that you, you just see everything kind of coming together for them to turn against Jesus because of this claim that he was king. And that kind of leads us to Matthew 27 and verse 32, where we read the story of the crucifixion. It says in verse 32, Along the way they came across a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene. And the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they went out to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall, but when he had tasted it, he refused to drink it. And after they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king, right? The king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him. One on his right, one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? We'll, we'll let him come down from the cross right now, and then we will believe in him. When, when you read this, I mean, you get, this is the same crowd that was saying hell to the king of Israel is now making fun of him and saying, I thought you were king, but you're not. If you were, you would save yourself. You would come off of that cross and save us. This shows how quickly we kind of miss the point sometimes. Sometimes we miss the proof of Jesus' lordship because we're expecting him to prove himself in a certain way. And then he does something different. Think about this. For Jesus to be lord of your life means that he's the king of your life. He's the ruler. He's the boss. He's the master. He cannot be lord of a part. He must be given control of the entire life, the whole life. If he's not king of everything, he's not king at all. And, and I think many individuals have messed up because they think that they can only believe in Jesus. They can only trust in him if he meets their expectations. It's what we see right here. The crowd had an expectation. Their expectation, Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government. Now that he's hanging on a cross, it looks like the Roman government has won. They turned their back on Jesus because he didn't meet their expectation. We do the same thing today. We put God to the test. We'll say, God, I'll trust you. I'll make you the Lord of my life if, and we'll just kind of fill in the conditions. If you heal me from this sickness I'm going through. If you get me out of this terrible job I'm in now and give me a new job. If you'll fix the problems in my marriage, God, then I'll follow you. You see what we do? We kind of, we, we give God these conditions. We'll only make him king if he does everything we want him to. That's not kingship. 
That's not, what a, that's not how a king operates. What the king says goes, right? If the king says it, then it's in effect. And, and that means we have to follow it because he is the king. You, you, you can't have two kings. What we've done is we've elevated ourselves to that position of king of our life. We, we've said, okay, I, I kind of believe Jesus is the king, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm the king of my life. I'm the ruler. I'm not going to submit to anybody else or anything else. And you cannot have two kings of your life. You can only have one true king. Now, Tim Keller said this. He said, Jesus will not be a means to an end. He will not be used. If he calls you to follow him, he must be the goal. Does that sound like fanaticism? Not if you understand the difference between religion and the gospel. Remember what religion is. It's advice on how you must live to earn your way to God. And I feel like that's what many people have done today. Instead of surrendering to God, we've said we're going to try to work our way and prove to God that we really are true believers. One of the things that surprised me over the years is I've talked to people. And if you ask people this question... um, surprisingly, more often than not, you get the wrong wrong answer. And the question is, how do you know that you're saved? How do you know that you'll be in heaven when you die? Uh, That question, um, I I, I get the wrong answer over and over again. And, And I think part of the reason is the area we live in. And part of the reason is people have had just a little bit of church uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's kinda like a, a vaccination. They've just had a little bit of it and enough to make them, uh, you know, to inoculate them against the effects of church. I feel like that's what's happened around here, right? People have been inoculated against church. They've just got a little bit of it, uh, and, and then they think they don't need any more of it. Um, and so what happens is people have this understanding. When I ask people that question, the, the response I typically get is, I hope so. Uh, but uh, I hope I'm good enough that God will let me in. Have you ever heard anybody kind of articulate it in, in some form or fashion similar to that? I hope that I'm good enough that God will let me in. That's religion. That's what religion is. But what we serve is not religion. It's a relationship. It's the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. It's a person who saves us. Religion is all about us working our way to God, trying to earn our approval with God. Every other world religion is based on that fact that you've got to work your way. You've got to earn your way. You've got to prove to God that you're good enough. You've got to reach a certain spiritual level. You've got to do enough good things. The good has to outweigh the bad uh, on the scales of justice. And that's how religion operates. The gospel is different, though. The gospel is not about what we do. It's about what Jesus has done. And so, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a video years ago, like nine years ago, by a guy named Jeff Bethke. Uh, It was called, Why I Hate Religion, But I Love Jesus. Do you remember that video? Do some of y'all remember it? Uh, I I looked it up yesterday. It had like 34 million views on YouTube now. And uh, uh, it's like, but it's really cool. And uh, because it just, he he just kind of articulates this fact that what we've done is we've fallen for the trap of religion thinking that's what lordship is. And it's not at all. Lordship is surrendering and saying, we're going to trust in what Jesus has done. It's not about what we do to impress God. It's about what he has done to secure our salvation for us. 
And we receive that salvation, salvation by grace through faith. And, and so that's the difference between religion, right? And, and, and that's the difference between religion and a relationship. Uh, Tim Keller said in Jesus the King, he said, Jesus declares not that he has come to reform religion, but that he's here to end religion and to replace it with himself. That's why the religious leaders of the, time, of the day of Jesus, they were looking for, for God to, to come in a different way. They were looking for the Messiah to establish an earthly kingdom when he came to establish a heavenly kingdom. And so for many people, they'll only trust Jesus as the Lord of their life, as the king of their life, if and only if he does what he wants if, if he does what they want him to. But that's not how a king works. A king rules and reigns. And so when it comes to the way we speak, act, and live, it's got to be the way the king expects us, requires us, commands us to do. And so if, G, if there can only be one king of our life, then how do we know that Jesus is the real king, the, the true king, the right king, that, he, that we can trust, that we can believe in what he says? That brings me to my second point. The resurrection proves that Jesus is the king. If you want to look at one thing that absolutely proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the king, it's the resurrection. Think about this with me, right? Uh, three days after Jesus was crucified, he was laid in the tomb. To everyone's shock and amazement and surprise, he shows up and starts appearing to the disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone that had been dead for three days shows up and says, Hey, how's it going? It's going to get my attention a little bit. It's going to wake me up a little bit and say, Wait, I thought you were dead. But now you're alive. How, what happened? How did I, there's no logical, scientific explanation for why you're standing here. And what we read in scripture is that is really what happened. He started appearing to the disciples and to the others and 500 more. And, and they saw him and then they started writing about it. And, 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 I, and I'll share this and I fully believe it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I don't think we would even have scripture today. The law, the prophets, the Old Testament, uh, it would have been thrown out, cast aside. This is just another cult. This is just another a fairy tale. Uh, this guy claimed, made these ridiculous claims. They didn't come true. We just get, we get rid of it. But because he backed up his claims, because he rose from the dead, what we see is the 12 disciples, uh, the 11 uh, after Judas betrayed, and then they added Matthias. So there's 12, you, the whole story, right? But what we see is they changed the world. What we see is miraculous what happened. What we see is these 12 guys who were scared and running and, and hiding and, 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 and scared. Going back to their old way of life even, they started proclaiming Jesus. They started boldly telling people about this Jesus who came back from the dead. And, I, and I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, these guys, they were changed because they encountered a resurrected Lord and Savior. They wouldn't die for a lie. And as you read the early accounts of, uh, of Christian history, what we see is almost every single disciple died terrible deaths. They were killed for not renouncing who Jesus was. It completely changed their life. 
The resurrection, I think, has more evidence, more uh, than any other fact in all of human history when we look at it, that we can prove that the resurrection happened. We can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus lived, that he, that he was a true person that walked around. It's, a, it's recorded in numerous places outside of Scripture. We know without a fact he lived. And then we can see by the evidence of how these disciples changed uh, how they proclaimed by the, the people who saw the resurrected Jesus. That proves that he truly is the, the king. That he is the Lord. He defeated death. Um, there's a story of a, a renowned artist named Gustave Doré. And he lived in the 1800s. And he was traveling. He lost his passport, his papers. Uh, and he was trying to get in the country. And uh, he didn't have them. He, he told them who he was. And they said, yeah, sure you are. You know, they said, prove it to us. And, and the way he had to prove it, uh, they gave him a piece of paper and a, you know, a, a pencil. And he had to actually draw the people there uh, at, at the border and, and show them and prove that he truly was an artist. And he did it quickly. He did it well. And they looked at it and said, okay, you, yeah, that kind of proves it. You really are who you say you are. Right? And, and he had to prove who he was. Jesus had to prove who he was. He made all of these claims. If he didn't back them up, right? If he didn't prove that he was really Jesus, again, everybody would have just went away and said, yeah, this guy, he, we, we had our hopes up, but then he let us down. Didn't really happen. But what do we see? No, we see a, a, an entire movement. We see people and, and, and countries and, and, and nations changed because of the resurrection. Someone claims that they're going to rise from the dead and then they do it. That's going to get your attention. That's going to, de- that's going to get your attention. And what it does, it, it just shows us, right? It proves that Jesus is king. And it also proves that, that he loves us. And John 3, 16, a verse that we've all heard, right? It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Just think about that for a minute. Think about how much God really does love us. To go through the torture, the, the pain, the, uh, just everything that he went through on our behalf. How he took our sin and shame upon himself. In exchange, he gave us his righteousness. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson said this. He said, God's love is the most awesome thing about him. It's not his justice, nor his majesty, nor his blazing holiness. But the fact that he has made and keeps a covenant of personal commitment and love to his people. The most incredible thing about God is how much he loves us. See, when God created this world and, and, we, and, and sin entered the world, uh, we were broken. We were separated from God. God could have just stepped back and said, you know, I'm done with you. I'm done with all the evil, with all the pain, with all the hatred. But instead, his love, he reached down and he made a way. He rescued us from our sin and our pain. And he gave us a way that we could be made right with God forever. And that way was Jesus. And that's what we celebrate today. The proof, the proof of how much God loves us was in the resurrection. And so when we put our faith, our hope, and our trust in Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, the Bible tells us we will be saved. 
And, and so we can celebrate that. And, and as Jesus was resurrected, he gathered his, his followers together and said, Okay, now, now I'm giving you a mission. Now I'm gathering you together and I'm going to do something in and through you to reach other people. In Matthew 28, we read about his final instructions. It says, Jesus came, he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments, right? All the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so what Easter is, Easter is this day where, where God establishes all authority in heaven on, and on earth through Jesus. And he does it because Jesus is the king. And since Jesus is the king, since he proved that he is the king, since he conquered death, since he conquered the grave, he now says, I'm going to give you this mission and you're not even going to have to do it on your own power. I'm going to go with you. I'm with you to the end of the age, and this is what you're going to do now. It's going to change everything about our life. Because if I'm the king, you can no longer stay the same. It's going to change everything about your life from this point forward. So how do we know that we're followers of the king? Well, that brings us to our final point. Love is the proof uh, that Jesus reigns over our life. Love is the proof... That Jesus reigns over our life. If you want to know if you really are a believer, the proof is in our love for God and our love for others. And since Jesus is the king, if, he re- if you can only be one king of our life, he's proved that he is king, then it needs to change how we live our life. That, that's what we're looking at today. And so if you consider yourself a Christian, this instruction is given to you as well. You are to be part of making disciples. You're called to go and teach them what Christ has commanded. It changes everything about your life. You look at the Greek word here for disciple and it's this student, this learner, this apprentice. It's saying, I'm aligning my life under Jesus. And I'm going to live like Jesus lived. I'm going to do what he's commanded. I'm going to do the things he's asked me to do. That's what lordship, that's what kingship is. You're aligning yourself under his rule and his reign. And so that's what we are talking about. And so what happens is when we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, we enter into his kingdom and we start learning how to live as a citizen of the kingdom. And so that means that it's a lifelong process of us learning how to love more and more. How to love God more and how to love others more. We learn how to live generous lives. We learn how to forgive. We learn how to serve others. We learn how to practice self-control. We learn how to, to be people of peace. And so what we do, we submit to the love of Jesus and he starts transforming us from the inside out. He conforms us. God conforms us to the image of his son, Jesus. And he uses that, that process to make us more and more like Jesus. And so that's what it means when we make ourselves, right? When we align ourselves in the kingdom of God. When I was 12 years old, I became a believer. And at that point in my life, I didn't fully understand what I was doing. And, you know, I believed that, okay, Jesus is really who he says he is and that he died for me. And I had the understanding of a 12-year-old. And, 
And, and honestly, as I started getting older, I, I struggled a little bit with that. But when I got to college, it kind of hit me that, man, this is kind of some crazy stuff. <laughs> Have you? Um, let's just be honest. Sometimes when you open the Bible and you read something, you go, this is... This is, this is some crazy stuff. And I got to that point, and um, I started taking some religion classes, which were way out there. And, and um, you know, and I had people around me saying, oh, you can't believe the Bible. This stuff's not true. It's just made up. It's a fairy tale, all that stuff. And, and so at that point in my life, I had a decision to make. I was faced with that kind of crisis of belief, like, what do I really believe? And, and so I started reading my Bible. Um, and I, first time I read the Bible cover to cover uh, and like, okay, can I really trust this? Do I really believe this? Uh, uh, and I mean, it was a real struggle, right? Because I, here's what it started hitting me. It's made me realize if this is true, if somebody really did come back from the dead, if this is true, then it really changes everything about my life from this point forward. If it's true, uh, if he really is God in the flesh, then what he says, I need to live by. Uh, and, and, and so I, I, I started studying. I remember going to a, a conference there at Virginia Tech. And this was back in the early 90s. Josh McDowell came and spoke and did some debates. And I got some of his books and started reading and started reading through the Bible and started meeting with friends. And we started tackling all these things. And, and I was looking at archaeology and I was looking at creation story, you know, all that stuff. And, and looking at the Jewish historians and all the evidence for and against uh, whether we or not we could believe that Jesus really is who he said he was. And, and what I came down to, what I came finally to the, to, to the place was, okay, everything I'm looking at just continues to point me, continues to show me that Jesus really did rise from the grave. Really, everything I looked at just showed me more and more that we could trust what we have in the Bible. And so I, I got to that point where I'm like, okay, God, I don't understand everything. And I probably never will. But I see enough here where I have faith. I see enough here where I'm going to follow you. I see enough here where I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to reorganize my life around it. And so when Jennifer and I got married, we started going to church. I mean, the first week we were there, started learning from a great pastor. And when we lived in Winston and, and we, we are, you know, our faith grew stronger there, we came back here and started working with teenagers. And it's like one thing led to another. And now I'm standing in front of you guys teaching. I would have never anticipated that. But that's how God works. That's how God works. And so the reason I share all that. It's because I think we come to a point where we've got to say, if Jesus is the king, then am I going to follow him and allow him to be the king of my life? We don't know where it's going to take us. We don't know what it's going to do. But if he really is the king, then it needs, we need to have proof. We need to have evidence in our life that he is the king. And that evidence is how we love others. It's how we love God. John 13, 35. Uh, says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's how the world's going to know that we really do believe that Jesus is the king. It's not going to be coming to church uh, on Sunday morning. It's not going to be how much money we give. It's not going to be how many good acts we do and trying to earn our way to God. It's not religion. It's a relationship. It's surrendering to Jesus, making him Lord of our life, and then living like it because we're allowing him to work in us and through us. 
And so over these next three weeks, we're going to be digging a lot deeper into this, learning how that works and looking at how it affects our past and our present and our future. When we allow love to reign in our life, it changes everything about us. And if Jesus is the king over everything, if Jesus proved it through the resurrection, then we have got to surrender to his authority in our life. We've got to let love reign in our life and we've got to live differently. And so uh, this morning, you know, I I just want to share, have you really, have you made Jesus the king of your life? And do you understand the implications of that? Do you really believe this? Because if you do, it's going to change how you live. Now, the world is going to say, I don't really like what God's word says. His commands, they feel like all these rules and regulations and we don't like them. What in essence the world is saying, we don't want to trust God to be the king. We want to be the king based on what we feel and what we think. And, and so I just share that because have you made Jesus the king of your life? Because that means our life has got to change. And I, I believe that I'm convinced that there's two types of people in the room today. One, there's some here that you already made Jesus the king of your life, but you're struggling. Maybe you've lost sight of what he's done. Maybe you've lost sight of his love for you. Maybe you, you've forgotten what it means to really surrender and, and truly follow after Jesus in every area of your life. If that's you, then the way we get back on track is through what the Bible calls repentance. It's confessing our sin, turning our lives around and start following him again. And I'm telling you, the, the amazing thing is God loves you so much that he's waiting for you with open arms. And he's there to forgive you, to receive you. Uh, And to show you uh, how much he cares about you. And then there may be some in the room today um, who have never made the decision to let love reign in your life and to follow Jesus. If that's you, then the way you start is just by surrendering. Saying, I'm tired of trying to be my own king. I want you to be the king of my life. I want to confess my sin. I want to make you the Lord and Savior. I want to put my trust, my faith in you. I really do believe that you are who you say you are. That Jesus, you really did rise from the dead. That you did take my sin upon yourself. That everything about this this Bible, I may not understand it, but I believe it. I trust it and I'm going to do my best to follow it because you're with me. If that's your prayer, I want you to know that Jesus hears it and he will answer it. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and uh, this is kind of my closing passage. It says, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. That's my prayer for you guys, that God would continue to grow our knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are are his rich and his glorious inheritance. And then he said this in verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. It's my prayer that we would understand how much God loves us. His great power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead can can raise you from the dead today. 
it can save you. So I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Praise team's going to come back up and then we'll enter into our response time. But I want to give you a chance. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you did, in fact, prove that you are the king through uh, your life and through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, Lord, I, right now, I want to give an invitation to everybody listening, whether it's online, uh, no matter where they're at, what they're doing. They could be in their car going down the road. They could be right here in, in the service this morning. But if anyone is here and they say, I've never really made Jesus the king of my life. I've never surrendered. I keep trying to do things my way and it's just not working. Would you today, would you make Jesus your Lord? And we can just simply do that by, by praying with me. And I want to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I confess that I've lived my own way and, and under my own authority for, for far too long. I've sinned against others. I've sinned against you. And so this morning, I am sorry, Lord. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died, that you rose again for me. And so I welcome your spirit to work in my life and to obey you above everything else. I want you to be the king of my life. And Lord, I want to help share this good news to others around me. I want to follow this great commission that you've given us to go and make disciples. And I know I can't do it on my own. I know I need your help. But I'm so thankful that you promised to be with me. And so today, Lord, I just surrender. I believe. I trust. I may not understand everything, but I know I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my master. I want you to be the king of my life. If that's your prayer this morning, here's what I want you to know. That God heard it and God saved you. So while every head is bowed in this room, I want to ask you that you do something. If you're online and you just prayed that prayer, would you click that button on, on our website that says, Hey, I just accepted uh, Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're on live.mycornerstone.org, there's a place you can click and let us know. If not, you can leave a comment or send us a message. Uh, we want to follow up with you. If you're here in this room and you made that decision, while every head is bowed, would you just simply slip up your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer this morning. I want you to pray for me. Anybody in the room, anywhere that would say, that would acknowledge, that would say, okay, I, I want to live in the kingdom of God. I want to make Jesus the king of my life. Anybody. Lord, we just are thankful this morning. Your love is so, is so incredible. It's, it's beyond comprehension. We, we, we struggle sometimes to, to, to even put it into words. But this morning, we worship you for who you are, for what you've done. We, we worship you as the king of the universe, as the king of our life. And so this morning, Lord, we just uh, we celebrate the fact of the resurrection, that you conquered death, you conquered grave, the grave, and you've, you've given us the same power to give us a new life. You've made us a new creation. And so, Lord, our prayer is that you would help us to understand it and to live in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.